0: the album it's the podcast where we take your favorite rock albums and talk about the stories behind the recording and the songs and what was happening with the band at that time i'm don seckler he's tommy hilkin how's it going tom
1: don super good excited we got a easter weekend i'm ready to rock
0: yeah and so we're gonna kick it off today we're gonna to go into the legendary album nevermind by nirvana wow. so we're going into some uncharted territory for tom moving into the 90s
1: yeah not, not so bad <laughs> this one i get i'm okay but when you think about it right um you know, this is not so much classic rock, but if it is, we're all getting really old. Oh, it's old. now it's
0: classic rock. We are getting old, dude. Thirty years yeah. old. If, if this, um, this, became, this album is.
1: If this, if this became <laughs> cla- like you know, I'm listening to the oldie stations now, and I'm hearing my music. I'm like, oh, right.
0: uh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when we were kids, this would be like something from the 40s or 50s. You know? I know. So yeah, so yeah. It is. Crazy. It is. It is a classic classic album at this point. Oh, um, no doubt. So, we're also doing this podcast in conjunction with our charity, and it is Music for Mark. Why don't you tell us all about it, Tom?
1: Well, there you go. Thanks, Don. Uh, musicformark.com. You know, we put this podcast together to raise awareness to our charity, where we bring musical instruments and musical lessons to kids. Let's face it, Don and I, we love music so much. We know where it came. So, we want to keep the music alive. We're doing it through MusicForMark.com, where we're going to offer musical instruments. uh, And like I said, lessons to kids, and we can only do that with your help. So think about it. Check out music for Mark. When you get a chance, Don, tell them about how they could help us out in another way.
0: Yeah, if you've got instruments lying around that aren't being used, let us know. We'll come pick them up if you're local here and to New Jersey and, you know, we'll repurpose those instruments. So everybody's got like a guitar or ukulele or even a trombone sitting in a closet somewhere. Uh, yeah. If you do and you want to help out somebody, uh, get somebody into music, we can repurpose that and get it into hands of somebody who can use it.
1: Yeah. And sooner or later, we're going to reach out to everybody to see if you could help us out and line us up with some people who could really use some musical lessons or instruments. So hang awesome. in
0: there. Yep. So check out musicformark.com. Yes, sir. All right. So we're going to dive into Nevermind. And this is from Nirvana. I'm pretty sure most people know uh, at least uh, two of the people in this band. You have Kurt Cobain, who is the lead singer of mm-hmm. vocals. And guitar, uh, Dave Grohl, who's the now known as the the leader of the Foo Fighters, was the original, or uh, not the original drummer, but actually the second drummer in Nirvana. Uh, yep. He did drums and also did backing vocals. And then you had Chris Novoselic on bass, and he does has one vocal part at the beginning of uh, one of the songs, which we'll get into. Uh, but mostly uh, the bass player in the band. They the album was recorded in May and June of 1991 and then released on September 24th, 1991. Wow. (laughs) So at the time, the landscape was two things. It was pop music and hair metal. So this is the very, very end of the, you know, starting the 90s, ending the 80s. You had bands like Warrant and Poison were on the chart in the hair metal category. You had the Black Crows debut album, which was another rock album at the time. And then you had a lot of pop stuff. You had Vanilla Ice, you had Wilson Phillips, you had Mariah Carey. So it was really a very diverse, uh, uh, you know, kind of landscape in terms of the the musical charts at the time.
1: Yeah, a real good time to shut the radio off
0: yeah well and you know what this 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 the the reason this album is i i consider it legendary and iconic a it's a great album from beginning to end there's not a bad song on here but b this like put the the spike in the heart of hair metal and change the landscape of music dramatically for the for the next you know 20 years and this band uh nirvana is influenced every band in rock that's come after it so when you talk to any band that's a punk or a hard rock band they all love nirvana so you know hugely influential album and so much different than what was happening at the time their spray sales went way down. They did. They stopped because guys stopped <laughs> spraying their hair, and it was funny because at the time, when Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, all these bands right. kind of came to the forefront at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you look back, and you look then at the hair bands, and you was you would see pictures of like Winger now wearing like flannel shirts without all the hairspray, with the hair just hanging down, and the ripped jeans, and the and the Doc Martins. And wow. you know, doing that thing that that you know the guys in Seattle were all doing. And a lot of these bands were from the Northwest, so. Wow. You know, that that was interesting. And that's when you could tell that the tide had turned and it was the end for those, yes. uh, you know, the kind of the party rock bands of the 80s.
1: Flannel Winger, there you go. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, this music, as you get into the, you know, quote unquote grunge, and it's a pretty broad term for it, because a lot of these bands are very different, mm-hmm. but they were, it wasn't like, hey, let's get drunk, have a good time. The music had more more of a deep meaning. So. These people were really writing from the heart. It wasn't just about you know getting drunk and getting laid and you know hot girls dancing around on a car and all that kind of stuff. Mm. It was more about you know what's happening in these guys' lives and and kind of digging back into uh, the roots of rock and roll and really the the impetus for a lot of music, which is you know what's going on personally and and things that were important to people. So in January <laughs> of nineteen ninety two. Uh, this album reached number one. So it went, uh, released in September and January, number, uh, 92, the next year, it, uh, just a couple months later, it was number one on the U S billboard, uh, charts. And they were selling approximately 300,000 copies a week when it first mm-hmm. came out. So the, the first single, uh, smells like teen spirit peaked at number six on the U S billboard, uh, singles chart, and the video was heavily rotated on MTV. And so. Uh, people today, you know, the kids of today, the younger people who weren't alive in the (laughs) 80s and 90s, uh, may not understand how influential MTV was at the time. And MTV became the place that broke bands. So radio followed MTV's lead in the 80s and 90s. And Mm. so when you were on MTV, you were national it wasn't like it wasn't like the lo- there was a the local stations you know there was no Sirius or anything like that back in the day so you Good had a point. lot of local radio stations all over the country and they all played similar music but you could have different bands on different song, uh stations but mtv was national so if your video got hit on mtv everybody saw it because everybody watched it
1: that's that's a great point man i never looked at it that way yeah once you hit mtv you were national
0: Yeah, yeah, it was huge. So, uh, they sold over 30 million copies of this album, making it one of the best selling albums of all time. Wow. And in 2004, the Library of Congress added it to the National Recording Registry as you know, one of the great albums uh, in American history.
1: How great is that?
0: Yeah, so, uh, the band was you know, relatively new. They had one album before this called Bleach, which was a lot more punky than this album. Uh, on this album, uh, they they kind of made a conscious effort to write a little bit poppier, although the songs are still pretty heavy. They have, you know, they have a kind of a, a you know, catchy chorus and catchy verses and catchy right. riffs and things like that. A lot of distortion, but they were kind of, bas- you know, basically pop songs. Yeah, make
1: it a little mainstream. A little down. bit,
0: yeah. So their goal yeah. was to kind of mix up some styles and, and you know, and they did that really, really well. For sure. So we'll take a look at the cover here and it's pretty much an iconic cover. It has a, the naked baby swimming underwater, uh, chasing a dollar on a fish hook. And so... <laughs> when they conceived the idea, they were watching a television program, Kurt Cohen was watching a television program about water births with Dave Grohl. And so they they said, okay, we wanna do this. So they found some stock footage of underwater births, but they were too graphic for the record company to use. Cause it's not a, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. birthing babies, there's blood and other fluids and things like that. And it's not, not pretty. No. The other thing was that the stock house that controlled the picture of a swimming baby that they, f- they found and, and thought was okay to use, they wanted $7,500 a year for its use. So instead they said, okay, we're going to get this photographer and he's going to go to a pool where babies are doing swimming. You know, they sometimes have babies doing swimming lessons. Oh, yeah. And so they said, okay, we'll send this photographer, also we'll to take some pictures and see what happens. So they got uh, about five shots resulted from this four month old baby, uh, and they were concerned that the baby's penis was showing in the picture. It's a baby penis. Wow. Lucky baby. Yes. (laughs) So they, (laughs) so Kurt Cobain, the record company was, didn't want to release the the picture with a baby penis. So they uh, so Cobain said the only compromise he would accept would be a sticker covering the penis that said, "If you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile."
1: <laughs> That's nice. And please make sure one of the outtakes is baby penis, okay. <laughs>
0: So in the end, the record company says, "Okay, we'll release it. And nobody, nobody cares. I mean, this is so stupid. You know, God, Jesus.
1: Fascinating.
0: That's a great
1: story. Yeah. That's a beauty. Thank you for sharing that one, Don.
0: (laughs) So at the time, Kurt Cobain, you know, and this is really, I mean, this is Kurt's band. So Kurt wrote all the songs, all the lyrics. Uh, you know, it really is Kurt's band. And at the time he was listening to bands like the Melvins, which are a punk band from, from, I think from Seattle or the Northwest. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where, uh, REM, which is, you know, relatively poppy. The Smithereens were another favorite of his from here from Jersey, but again, a pretty Mm -hmm. poppy rock band. And then the Pixies who, you know, and if people are not familiar with the Pixies, definitely check them out. Uh, definitely alternative, but, uh, you know, very melodic. And uh, they do a lot of the, the quiet, loud type of stuff. And, and that's what Nirvana kind of copied a little bit, um, but you know, they're, they're great band and still to this day, Pixies are great. If you get a chance to see them live, I definitely recommend it. I like it. So, like I said before, the first album Bleach was more punk. This one, they were consciously making an effort to write, uh, more poppy songs. You know and when we say poppy this isn't like you know mariah carey poppy or ariana grande poppy it's still pretty hard punk rock with a pop edge and the the songs have that kind of pop construction to them in terms of the you know the chords and and all that sort of stuff the album was produced by butch vig who if people don't know was a member of the band garbage which was an uh I guess a, a late 80s, early 90s band, kind of pop rock, but you know, girl singer, very pretty popular. When they were originally going to record the album during March and April of 91, they ended up the date ended up getting pushed back. They were ready to go, but they I don't know what the reason was, but the sessions kept getting pushed back. So, in order to get gas money, to go to los angeles to record they played a show where they performed smells like teen spirit for the first time in back Mm. in 91 and so yeah so you know that's that's where how broke they were so they had to get do a gig to get gas money
1: i know the feeling
0: (laughs) 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 they it was interesting because they uh had written these kind of poppy chords and, and, and pop hooks and things like that, along with these kind of dissonant guitar riffs that give it that kind of rock or or punk edge. Kurt's original vision was, okay, this is going to be, we want this album to sound like the Knack and Bay City Rollers getting molested by Black Flag and Black Sabbath. All right. There you go. (laughs) I kind of like that, right?
1: Yeah, Saturday night.
0: Yeah, Ah. (laughs) S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Night. Uh, i like
1: it though but that's a vision you know it sounds funny but you know creativity takes you to where you could actually start to make it sound like that you know what i mean yeah he's talking about yeah exactly
0: right but it's so but it's and it's so you know when you're saying okay the base city rollers and black flag i couldn't think of two more opposite things you know there you go and so, like I said before, they did a lot of this kind of loud and quiet stuff. And, and again, we've talked about this in the past with other bands. A lot of times, great songs have great contrast. Mm-hmm. And that was something they really kind of borrowed from the Pixies. Dave Grohl, has, he had said that uh, Kurt had told him the music always comes first and the lyrics come second and dave grohl believes that above all Kurt cobain focused on the melodies of the songs so a, a lot of the lyrics were still being worked on while they were recording nevermind. and the result is that a lot of the lyrics on this album are kind of nonsense so they just kind of are again focused on that melody and getting words that kind of fit in with that as a, as opposed to words that actually mean something Not saying that every song is like that, but a lot of them, you get a lot of kind of weird, like, um, you know, like the mulatto thing and and smells like teen spirit. And it's just kind of a rhyming word, you know? So you hear that uh, fairly frequently on this record.
1: Uh, So instead of like telling stories, you're just throwing in little bits of sentences.
0: Here and there, yeah. There are some stories on this album, but there is, it's more, a lot of it is more about the sound of the words and how they fit in with the song and, and, you know, with the rest of the, with the rest of the lyrics. Hey, it worked. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it definitely did. <laughs> and so, you know, the result of this is that the result of this kind of, you know, lyrical uh, haze or whatever you want to call it, kind of like not, you know, not always being story-based is that Cobain Kurt would o- complain that like rock journalists would try to decipher his songs and extract the exact meaning. So he said, "Why in the hell do journalists insist on coming up with a second-rate Freudian evaluation of my lyrics (laughs) when 90% of the time they've transcribed them incorrectly. So, (laughs) So to build upon this kind of obscurity or obfuscation of the lyrics is the way Kurt sang. And a lot of times it's kind of a little bit mumbly and the music is so heavy and loud that it's hard to hear what he's saying. So they don't even know what the actual lyrics are. Yeah, and then the other thing is that the the whole Nevermind, that you know ugh, that attitude it, it's a throwback to the Sex Pistols, which Kurt loved a lot. The uh, you know never uh, um, never mind the Bullocks album, so it's it's kind of you know pulling on that punk uh, attitude of yeah, whatever. I should have worn my
1: leave me alone shirt. Today. You
0: should have. That would have been perfect of, for this.
1: That's exactly where I came. From.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's get to the good stuff. All right let's dive right into the first track and I have to tell you so this song I remember the first time I heard this and uh, so it was 91 it was the fall and I had MTV on I had you know my daughter was just one year old and it was you know so completely focused on babies and all that stuff And this song came on TV and just the opening riff like smacks you in the face with a two by four Mm -hmm. it's it's a this is a great amazing opening song it's kind of like that uh, we talked about precious for the pretenders last week where this song just comes in and bam and you're like what the fuck was that (laughs) you know so right off the bat you're kind of shaken by it
1: (laughs) yeah as we go i can say you know here i am you know this is 30 years ago and i was locked into the 70s but you know i I jumped right on board like you said once you heard this you just realized how good it was
0: yeah and it was kind of like i had this realization i said oh my god this this song it it was this one song that really like changed everything for at the time for music so let's take a listen i'm sure everybody's heard this one but let's take a listen So I know you know this is definitely their most famous song, and I'm sure yeah. everybody's heard this. But it's God, it's so good. So good, yeah. It's I mean, it's it's every part of it is amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> from the opening riff to the opening that opening double drum beat when it comes in, it's just insanely good. Uh, and just makes me want to get in the pit. It really, I just want yeah. to be in the mod pit, you know? There it's there you go, man. Even just standing here. It's like, wow, that's that, and that's what I miss so much about being at shows. Just don't uh, get hurt. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Especially now as I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah. So the song came together in a jam session. So Kurt had the riff and started playing it for the band, and they just started jamming on it. And again, he said he was trying to write a a pop song that was, again, based off of like ripping off the Pixies. You know, that's that's kind of the phrase that Kurt used. This, this story of this song and the Smells Like Teen Spirit. And where does that come from? So you've got uh, this band called Bikini Kill. So some people may know them, the punk band from back of the day, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Kathleen Hanna was lead singer for Bikini Kill, and she gave Kurt the idea for the title when she spray painted, Kurt smells like teen spirit on his bedroom wall after a night of drinking and spraying graffiti all over Seattle. So nice. Cobain was going out with, with Toby Vile, who's also in Bikini Kill, but she then dumped him. This this woman, uh, Toby, wore teen spirit deodorant, which was a thing back in the day. And so Hannah was saying that Kurt was kind of marked with her scent.
1: Nice. (laughs) You smell like teen spirit.
0: Kathleen wrote this on the wall at at his apartment and and he he passed. She passed out because they were drinking and everything. And she woke up and saw it on the wall. And then six months later, he calls her and says, hey, do you mind if I use this as a lyric? And she thought to herself, how is he going to use Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit as a lyric? (laughs) (laughs) It's great, right? Yeah. So uh, Cobain said that he wrote the song because he was feeling disgusted with his generation's apathy and with his own apathy and spinelessness. So it's this kind of feeling of detachment, and it led to these lyrics like "Oh well, whatever, never mind," which is you know that kind of throwback to to the Sex Pistols. Mm. Uh, Chris Novoselic, the bass player, said that Kurt really despised the mainstream, and that's kind of what "Smells Like Teen Spirit" was all about. This kind of mass uh, mentality of conformity. So, you know, kind of against the normal people and kind of, you know, that again, that kind of punk edge of, you know, we're a little different, we're not gonna just do what you say kind of thing. Probably most people have seen the video for this song and it's them doing, uh, playing in a high school gym and there's some cheerleaders with anarchy symbols on their uh, outfits and there's kids in the stands. But the video was inspired by Rock and Roll High School by the Ramones, by that movie. Great tune. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they went to they did the shoot and by the 11th hour, the band had had it. And it's a long shoot all day. And the kids on the set were like bored and angry because they kept just, you know, they just keep reporting and repeating the song over and over again. So at the end, they're like, can we destroy the set? So the director wasn't thinking of that, but then he let all the kids come down, form a mosh pit. The band smashed their instruments, and it makes this spectacular video that fits so well for the song because it's, it's just mayhem, which is what, you know, you, you saw this in live in concert. The floor was a blender. If you ever see any videos of Nirvana playing, uh, you know, it's just the entire show is just a mosh pit and people are going crazy the entire time.
1: You know, this might be the first time we're really talking about that—the power of MTV on any album we've covered so far. Now that I'm thinking about it, right? Because we're, we're, we're discussing the video and how powerful the video was. So. Yeah, this might be the first album we're really diving into. I think what it is, yeah, we album.
0: have. Yeah, we oh, haven't yeah. really done anything kind of mid-80s, you know, uh, mid to we, late 80s yet, right? Well,
1: we or, hit we hit we hit 10. We did 10 by Pearl oh, Jam. Oh, 10
0: by Pearl Jam. Yeah, that's right after this though. So that came yeah. out in in uh, I think like a month or two later. Right. Um yeah, and that so that album had, you know, the videos as well had an effect, but this one really was the the dominant video in in that time period for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. All right, so let's take a listen to track number two. And this one is In Bloom. So again, you hear the, uh, the loud, quiet kind of contrast stuff here, uh, again, you know, borrowed from the Pixies and other bands. Um, but it, you know, really that, that style really leads to that buildup where those choruses have such power, yep. you know, it kind of booms back in and you're like, all right, here we go, you know?
1: And this is where you discover right in this song, they had distinct sound, you know, Really, and that's how you sell 30 million albums. You know I mean? It really is.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was definitely, you know, you always knew. You could tell most times from the ex- uh, immediate beginning of a song if it was a Nirvana song.
1: Yeah, and if this was done in a little mellower way, it would be like if you really listen to it, it's a heavy pop song.
0: It's oh, exactly yeah, yeah super, yeah, super poppy. Yeah, it's yeah. a super poppy song.
1: I, I see what you're saying now. I get the whole concept of. It, it could be a pop song. If somebody else was singing, Britney Spears was singing it. it right. Would be a, yeah, very exactly. cool. Exactly.
0: Yeah. You yeah. could totally change this. And you, it's funny. You, so you can hear some of these songs and you hear them done in like lounge music ways or things like that. <laughs> like, And it's always interesting, but they work well in those other yeah. formats. There you go.
1: So Kurt, singer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Kurt, yeah. Uh, so Kurt explained that he had a disdain for rednecks, macho men, and abusive people, and he said, "So this song was an attack on these types of people, on America." Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, on douchebag America. What did you say,
1: rednecks? <laughs> rednecks, macho, macho man, men,
0: and uh, abusive people. So douchebag America.
1: 80%, 80%. Yeah. I don't know what he had against
0: Macho Man Randy Savage, but
1: Oh, come on. Snap into a slim Jim, baby. Come on.
0: <laughs> so Kurt Cobain for ages, he said for ages I thought I might be gay. Uh, he said because he didn't like cheerleader types of girls, or wanting to hang uh, out with the jocks. He chose to live this life of being a recluse. So he really, you know, wasn't hanging out with anyone. And he said he didn't hang out with people because he couldn't handle their stupidity. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So you know, if you're hanging around with people who are jerks and and you know abusive to women, and that that can really you know it can really bother a person who's who has you know any kind of morals.
1: I think there's a category, right? It's called asshole. I think. Yeah. So. I mean, if you're really going to categorize it, true. <laughs> but w- w- define ages. If you think you were gay for ages, how long is ages? <laughs>
0: I don't know that's what he said so that's a direct quote (laughs) probably i guess for his whole life
1: yeah i'd like to go with i've had a moment
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i think you know i don't know i'm not gay so i don't know but you know it's like they they say okay well when did you decide? Like people will say, you know, being gay <laughs> is a choice, which it's not. I'll right. say, okay, well, when did you beso- decide to be straight? And you didn't decide, you just were, you know? So I think you, you know, it, it's, I think for most people, you kind of know when you're pretty young. Um, but, you know, that's a whole nother ball. Yeah, whole, whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, a whole separate podcast, something this more serious. Been, this
1: has been a public service announcement. <laughs>
0: So uh, he, he was, Kurt was very aware that people would not get the point of a lot of his songs. And so he said he, he would see people just kind of sing along with them blindly. So on this song, he purposely wrote this sing-along chorus so that people would find them singing about not understanding the song that they don't understand. <laughs> so the line is he's the one who likes to sit likes all the pretty songs and he likes to sing along but he knows no knows not what it means so he's kind of making fun of those people who just don't really understand the music and um you know just kind of are on the pop surface of it listen to it and oh it's got a poppy melody so i like it and i'm singing these lyrics but they're mocking me
1: yeah you know what's interesting about this if you really think about it he's so twisted in what he's doing kind of makes him an asshole.
0: It is right. It's a little <laughs> mean.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, in other words, it's the yeah. mirrors in your house, pal.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. So it is, it's a little, it's a little, you know, it's kind of two sides of the same coin or, you know, so like these people are jerks, but he's a jerk for being a jerk to the jerks.
1: Right. You know, passive, so passive aggressive. Yeah. Exactly. It's
0: very passive aggressive. Oh yeah. Very, very passive aggressive.
1: But it's okay, Kurt.
0: It's all right. Uh, All right. So let's dive into the next one. Um, And again, you know, I think like pretty much every one of these songs, people are probably know uh, this was another big hit. This one is Come As You Are.
1: That's awesome. Great riff, right? Awesome. That's all you need right there.
0: So, Kurt described this song as about people and what they're expected to act like. There's a lot of intentionally contradictory and confusing lyrics. So it's like, take your time, hurry up as a friend, as an old or known enemy. You know, so there's a lot of this kind of contrasty stuff. And again, it's it's kind of a pop riff. Mm -hmm. where and you get into that heavier part you can hear again there's the nirvana part uh but it's it's again that that very poppy kind of stuff that they've made heavier quite hypnotic yeah definitely hypnotic that's a very good point a lot of their songs are like that like it puts you in uh, almost in like a hypnotic state
1: it puts you in a state it does it changes your state it really does
0: fantastic So so the chords in this song, they're actually a slowed down version of Killing Joke's song, uh, from 1985 called the eighties. So Killing Joke is an old, uh, punk, uh, progressive band. And the songs were so similar that Nirvana considered holding off, releasing the song as a single, Mm. uh, and Killing Joke heard it and they considered suing, but then when Kurt Cobain died, they decided it's not worth it and just let it go.
1: Ah, interesting. Uh, that's a great fact.
0: Yeah. And so the other thing is the irony here. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of this stuff. So you have Kurt saying, I don't have a gun. I don't have a gun. I don't have a gun. And this is three years after mm. this song when he blew his head off with a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of these things that he says in here. That he says he doesn't which he does you know and i don't know it, obviously he knows he knows he has a gun he knows that you know he's thought about using it up probably it was, i don't think it's something that just came on super suddenly um but it's kind of contradictory to what you hear in the lyrics and then what was going on in his real life
1: well you think about it right You know, if he was twisted you know who's actually talking at the time You know, the the inner being Kurt Cobain or the twisted guy who's you know, he's got his demons are working through. He's got a lot
0: of yeah, he's got a lot of demons. And part of them, I think, like you were saying before, or like we just said, about him kind of being a jerk with some of this stuff, that's part of those demons, you know. That that's that's the whole mix, and those those are things that you know will will drive you crazy in your head, you know, when you got to deal with that constantly if those thoughts are running around.
1: Yeah, when you become antisocial completely there's no reason to leave the house
0: right and there was and like we said when he was a kid he stayed inside you know because he didn't want to deal with everybody so you can see this stuff you know looking back it's a lot easier to see all the pieces fall into place as to where this guy took his own life but you know sad but it was obviously dealing with a lot of a lot of stuff yeah but part of the lyrics on this song are about heroin in Seattle, uh, where where they say come doused in mud soaked in bleach. Those that line is actually taken from a campaign in Seattle, like a TV campaign that encouraged heroin users to soak their needles in bleach after injecting to reduce the risk of spreading wow. HIV. Because again, this was 80s, you know, when this, you know, late 80s, early 90s, when uh, HIV was, you know, raging and out of control. Right and so um the campaign actually said if uh doused in mud soak in bleach that was the the campaign that they had running for for heroin users at the time wow crazy right All Right, fits
1: time right yeah that's what's going on in your world that's what you're right, right about and again wow. i mean
0: people don't understand like so today we have you know now we're dealing with covid and, the, and that virus and people don't understand about uh, when AIDS first started that nobody knew what was going on. So oh, at God, first no. it was gay, they were calling it the gay cancer and they didn't know how they could catch it. And it was, everybody was worried and don't have sex. And, you, you know, so as, as time evolved, they learned more about it. You know, now it's a manageable disease, but, you know, we've kind of gone through the same thing recently with this COVID stuff where nobody knew what it was at the beginning and all these things have changed. So.
1: Get your guitar. I'm ready. Come wear a mask. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> you should do a PSA. No, let's do it, man. <laughs> yeah, we should. All right, let's dive into the next song. And this one is Breed. Mm-hmm. So again, you got a, you know, super poppy chorus here, right? Sing along chorus with just everything over distorted. The bass is over distorted. The guitars are over distorted. It's another mosh pit song with a sing along, you know, (laughs) with a sing along chorus. It's crazy good.
1: I was just going to say to you, if there was ever an opening song, for a show there's your opening song right Come yeah on. yeah if you I want
0: the tempo to be up here right yeah once
1: you start <laughs> out, yeah but you
0: you, know, you just blaze into it it's amazing
1: I, I just wish you wouldn't have brought me to the world of poppy when because you could just see musically how poppy it is, right? The yeah. distortion's there; it gets you in. But when you're looking at the song, it's kind of right. Right. If you take
0: away all the distortion and and do <laughs> it it's like, like th- with you know a keyboard and a, a undistorted guitar, you get a whole well, different feel for it.
1: Very interesting, man. But yeah, that would be a great opening song. That would get the crowd going.
0: Yeah. So um, well, and so that's that's what happened. So it, it was an early song that they had written, and it's it's about being trapped in middle class America. So you know, again, Kurt's writing about it's. This is all <laughs> he's got. You know, he just is like had it with middle class America, basically. You know, and so uh, they they played it uh, during live performances in 1989 when they toured Europe, uh, opening for another band. So at the time, back in 89, they were signed with Sub Pop Records. And the founder of Sub Pop, Bruce uh, Babbitt, said that the song was hypnotic. He used the same words as you did, Tom. Look at that. <laughs> and he said it was also a stylistic breakthrough for the band. He said audiences would become ecstatic. And you could totally, this yeah. is, you, yeah. you just, there's no way you can't see this. Once this song hits, the whole crowd is just, it becomes a blender, you know? I love it. It's so awesome. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he said, you know, when you're experiencing really good primal rock and roll, you break into a trance and that's kind of, you know, what the whole mosh pit and circle pit and all that kind of stuff that they have now, um, comes from. I'd
1: have to wear a flag jacket. <laughs> yeah.
0: it, so it was, uh, this was pretty complex in terms of this, of their, uh, previous, uh, songs and every chorus begins and ends with the line she said implying that the song was meant to capture spoken dialogue so why you know you really kind of have to listen to it to hear that kind of stuff and most people don't because you're just in that kind of yeah i just want to you know mosh in here but that's what's happening there in the background
1: yeah it's tough to pick the lyrics up when you're smashing somebody in the head
0: yeah (laughs) for sure all right, so let's move on to track number five. Again, this is another really well-known song, and this one is Lithium. Wow.
1: This is a beauty. <laughs> I'm
2: so happy Cause today from my friends you in my head I'm so ugly That's okay Cause so are you <laughs> Sunday mornings every day for all I care. And I'm not scared by my candles in our days, cause I found God. Yeah! Yeah!
0: So this again, it's a lot of this kind of self-loathing stuff and Mm. depression. I'm so ugly, but so are you, which is kind of funny. Um, But, you know, Kurt used to say that he wasn't singing about himself in these songs. He was pulling it from what he saw in other people. But, you know, as we know now, this guy was, you know, these were the real issues he was dealing with personally.
1: And maybe this was his way, his escape, you know, of uh, discovering it. Because I was thinking everything he's like, it's like polar opposites. Right. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? Right.
0: You know, yeah. I wonder, he, he likes I that wonder, contrast, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's one extreme to the other.
0: But I yeah. wonder, you
1: know, I wonder it's uh, I'm thinking was the guy bipolar, you know what I mean? Without even knowing. Maybe, it,
0: you know, I, I mean, and the thing was like with a lot of the, the again, the quote unquote grunge music of the time. A lot of it was kind of depressing down type songs, you know, it was the exact opposite of, you know, uh, Warrant, she's my cherry pie, you know, with the fire hose at the stripper and all that crap. Not But this is the exact opposite where (laughs) this is the exact opposite, where it's somebody who's in their own head and it's real, you know, real serious issues that they have and they're dealing with internally. Yeah. When
1: did a fire hose and a stripper become crap?
0: (laughs) There's still videos. If you want to Google warrant, you can find those. (laughs) online. I'll
1: go behind the barn.
0: So the other thing uh, with this song, so, you know, it's a very depressive theme in it, uh, but also the next album after this was called In Utero, and uh, that album was originally going to be called I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. So, you know, and again, uh, Kurt would come out sometimes at, at live audiences and say, hey, everybody, why so glum? But it was kind of like that sarcastic tone, you know, that he would use. Wow. So it's really, you know, looking back, you go, holy shit, this guy has a lot of issues. Yeah.
1: It was all coming along building
0: the guitar player from the band living colors, Vernon Reed. I don't know if people remember him, but he had said that, uh, with lithium, it was his favorite song and Kurt had tapped into something, uh, in the culture that nobody had given a voice to before passionate ambivalence. I'm so ugly, but that's okay because so are you. He captured the idea of having incredibly powerful feelings about not having feelings.
1: Ah <laughs> uh, I that's a great point. Deep, so very deep beyond me, but good.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't I, you know that's that's <laughs> like smart level thinking I'm not there yet. <laughs> Give yourself 10 weeks. 10 weeks is that what it takes? <laughs> All right, so let's go into the next, that's the next track. Uh, This one's a a little bit more mellow than the rest, and uh, we'll take a listen and we'll talk about the story behind this song. This is Polly.
2: Polly wants a cracker, think I should get off her first. Think she wants some water <laughs> to put out the blow torch. Isn't me? Have a seat. Let me clip. Dirty wings. Let me take a ride. Cut yourself. Want some help Please myself. Got some rope. Have been told. Promise you true let me take a ride cut yourself Once a mile. please myself
0: so this one even though it's a super depressing song uh <laughs> it's it's got kind of a poppy riff to it right the, yeah, you know sure. the guitar obviously it's acoustic it's slow down but you speed that up a little bit put it on an electric guitar and it's kind of still a, a poppy song underneath yeah So it's actually about the kidnapping of a it's a real story about the kidnapping of a 14 year old girl in 1987. And um, she was coming home from a concert in Tacoma, Washington, when she was abducted by a man named Gerald Friend or friend. I'm not sure how you say it, Uh, he took took her back to his mobile home and raped her. Uh. And the girl whose name was not released was tortured with a whip, a razor and a blowtorch. So it's pretty nasty. Uh, she managed to escape when he took her t- for a ride and stopped for gas and he was arrested and sent to jail interesting thing about this there's not a lot of drums on it it's really just that one symbol hit that you hear but uh that's actually not dave grohl it's chad channing who was the original drummer from the band from 1988 to 1990 and um he uh was interviewed in 2013 and he said he never even realized that uh the version of Polly that made it on the record was him
1: wow. so
0: it was from some early recording sessions before he had left the band and uh listening back to it he realized and goes oh yeah that does make sense that it was me but it's 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 such a simple little you know just the symbol <laughs> hit who, who could tell which you know which drummer it was
1: that's my symbol hit
0: i know it <laughs> so this song after hearing this song bob dylan said of kurt cobain that kid has heart
1: well, That's well,
0: <laughs> so dylan loves polly <laughs> hey,
1: i i could see you know it's a story it's a storyteller yeah um, exactly that, right it fits that, that's, right in line if you're a storyteller dylan will come around there you go
0: there you go and uh there is the the part uh, of the song where he says where he goes, Polly says, and then he pauses and kind of starts over. That was actually a mistake in the studio and they just liked it. So they left it in. So he was supposed to sing the whole lyric, I guess, but uh, he had paused there and it worked really well. So they left it in. Wow, great. All right. So let's move on to the next track. Another uh, harder edged uh, punk song. This one is Territorial Pissings.
2: Come on.
0: This one again, another ripper here, just uh, mm-hmm. you know, crazy good hard rock punk uh, edge to it. And uh, they recorded this uh, right into the mixing board, so n- n- didn't use an amp or anything on this. The uh, it's basically a punk lambasting of the typical macho man, so again, against those kind of s- uh, sexist type of people, you know, who are out there. But he also was talking about the way he saw Native Americans treated in his hometown of Aberdeen, Washington. So it's kind of a mix of those two things. Uh, the beginning part, which is actually Chris Novoselic, the, the bass player, singing uh, part of the Youngbloods uh, 1960, 1967 song, Get Together. Oh, yeah. You know, he was hoping that he was, some baby boomers would hear that and say, whatever happened to those ideals? They weren't, you know, I think some people took that as like kind of a mocking of the old song. But Kurtz himself said that the song speaks to people who join together uh, to be cool and try something new. The ideal contrast to the macho man I'm portraying in the song. So he said, they didn't mean to be offensive to the guy who wrote the Youngblood song. They liked the idea of it being positive and causing change in society and the world appropriated in a world appropriated by media, who turned it into something ridiculous, a caricature. Tr- so again, it's like interpretation. So when you hear it, you hear the guy singing that, come on, baby. you know. So you feel like on, they're kind of like, it sounds like they're pissing on the 60s. Ah. right like they're mocking it but it's not what they they actually were you know positive that's what they they wanted that kind of vibe i guess
1: well that's what they believed in as well they just didn't get their point across well that's all
0: right right
1: this song here is definitely could be a a tribute to johnny rotten uh the lyrics and the singing of the lyrics is truly johnny rotten and you can hear it
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely influenced by the Sex Pistols in a big way.
1: Well, the pacing of the singing is is certainly Johnny Rotten in this song.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, another song that just live is, it just had to be insane because of the the tempo on it. Perfect. (laughs) All right. So let's dive into track number eight. This one is hold on one second. (laughs) Wow. I never heard that one. <laughs> Let's listen to track number eight. This one is Drain You.
1: Yeah.
2: My baby to another says I'm lucky to you. I'm done.
0: So uh, there, there's two interpretations of this song that I could find out there. The first one is that this is about Kurt's life in Olympia um, and also about his girlfriend, Toby Val, who we talked about from before, from the band Bikini Kill. And uh, it's a phrase, uh, it's now my duty to completely drain you, is a phrase that she allegedly said to Kurt at the time of their breakup. So it's unclear whether she broke up with him or he broke up with her, but that's one interpretation of what the song is about. The other one is that it's Kurt Cobain's struggle with heroin. Uh. So, uh, you know, the, I travel, there's a line that says, I traveled through a tube and ended up in your infection. And the infection is the unreal world of heroin. And the tube is simply the needle. And then there's a line, in a passionate kiss, from my mouth to yours, the first mouth is the mouth of the needle, the second mouth is Kurt's vein, which is how the heroin is feeding him. And then uh, there's also a line that says, you're my vitamins, and that was kind of saying, hey, heroin is all he needs, really, to to live. So pretty (laughs) fucked up either
1: way. (laughs) Tough way to go about it. You know, we, have, we haven't touched on it much, but, uh, you know, I, the talent of Dave Grohl, you know, we discovered it kind of after Nirvana, but, you know, throughout this album, you could hear him and you, the drumming is just...
0: He's know, so good. He's such a talented musician. Such,
1: such a talent, man. Yeah. It's, yeah.
0: yeah. It's amazing, amazing drummer. And, you know, it's so funny. So you if you see him interview today and he'll talk about, you know, when Kurt died and all that. And he almost like stopped playing music. He couldn't even like pick up. He didn't. He couldn't even pick up the drumsticks. And that's why he didn't. uh, He actually Dave Grohl was actually offered uh, to join the Heartbreakers with Tom Petty. Oh, wow. After Kurt died. And he played with them on either like Saturday Night Live or a show or something. And they offered him a, you know, Tom said, hey, do you want to be our full time drummer? But he couldn't. Like he said, every time he sat down on the drum kit, he thought of Kurt. Wow. So that's why he ended up doing Foo Fighters where on the foo, first Foo Fighter oops almost knocked my water over. <laughs> the first Foo Fighters record Dave did everything. So he did the drums, he did all the instruments, the singing everything and then he brought the band in later to uh, and now it's a full band but
1: so him and Kurt were good friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. All three of these guys became really good friends. You know, they were young, they're on the road together and, you know, spending every hour with each other pretty much. So, yeah, they they became really close friends. Uh,
1: That's good to know.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. So another thing, a lot of, you know, Dave Grohl does a lot of interviews and talks and stuff. And one of the things I've heard him say is that. You know, people say, oh, it was so awful that your bandmate killed himself. And then the one time he he went into a bar and he met Lemmy and he was hanging out with Lemmy and Lemmy said, hey, I'm sorry your friend died. It wasn't your bandmate. You know, it wasn't Kurt. Cobain, it was your friend, you know. So let me, like, as the one who Dave felt like understood, it was his his buddy, his pal, you right. know.
1: Right. I didn't lose a bandmate. I didn't lose a guy. Right. Lead guitarist. Right. I lost, lost my, my friend. friend. Right. Yeah, that's great. And
0: sometimes, you know, sometimes people don't understand. Like, you know, when you're in a band, you're with people. These people a lot, and they be they. You have to be friends, otherwise, it gets very hard to coexist.
1: Got to wake up to them every day.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, there's also, we didn't play the part, but in the middle, there's a breakdown part uh, where there's some weird noises. And in there, the band uses a rubber duck, some chains, and an aerosol can instead of the guitars.
1: (laughs) Nice. Nice.
0: So it's, I guess, the breakdown or the bridge. It's kind of the middle part of the song.
1: It's funny. Chains were a big part of Motown. I learned that a long time ago. Really? Oh, big part. All the shh in the background was a metal
0: chain. Yep, oh, that's big, interesting yeah yep all right so uh let's listen to the next song this song is lounge Jack track number nine. So this song is about a heartache and a relationship. Uh, It contains a reference to Teen Spirit where he says, I still smell her on you. Uh, The title comes from the fact that the band thought that the bass intro sounded something like a cheesy lounge band would use. So that's where the lounge act comes from. Funny. And uh, it's the only song that Kurt admitted that was about his ex-girlfriend Toby from Bikini Kill.
1: There you go. And I have to tell you, give this to rock pile which was uh dave edmonds yeah. back in a day right i gotta, remember and, rock pile yeah you got yeah, yeah it was dave edmonds and uh, a nick
0: Lowe. yeah and, yeah uh,
1: they put them together and they, have them do this song it's a completely different song. <laughs> but it fits I mean? right because those oh. are
0: those are two kind of really pop rock great great dave edmonds nick Lowe, great pop rock right, songwriters song.
1: yep. yeah and then they got together for a while and But this song would fit in. I was just thinking Dave Edmonds when I was listening to it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. good, good call. Nice. All right, so let's move on to track number nine. Or nope, that was nine. This is ten. We're gonna go to "Stay Away." So this one, perfect song for your Leave Me Alone shirt, Tom.
1: (laughs) There you go. Stay away. Get away from me.
0: So it was originally titled Pay to Play. And uh, it appears to talk about a couple of different things, including annoyance, stay away, lack of popularity, I'd rather be dead than cool. And also predictability in people. Every line ends in a rhyme. So again, but again, it's that it, even though it's heavy and distorted and, and frantic and pace, it's a pop song.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I was just thinking, this is how you write an album. It, it's like, how do you write an album knowing your audience, right? Every song on here, you bring it to a live audience. You're locked in. You're locked in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So good. And, you know, so at the end of the song, he he goes from stay away. And then at one point he says, God is gay. So uh. that is, that's something that he had spray painted on a classmate's car in high school as a way of pushing the guy's buttons. So uh. Uh, Cobain had a gay friend in high school and at one point thought he might be gay. And it was, you know, a statement of, you know, he isn't saying like a bad thing against God, but he's saying that it's supporting gay rights.
1: Well now I got now I see why you have to kneel all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I didn't realize
1: God was gay. Now I get
0: ba-
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Thank you. After all these years, I forgot, got my explanation.
0: Try the try the chicken parm and tip your waitress. <laughs>
1: I'll be here all week. No, literally. <laughs> I've got nowhere to go.
0: <laughs> all right. So let's jump into number 11. This is On a Plane.
2: I this song without any words. I got so high, strapped till I we we'll
0: So this is actually a song about writing a song. On a plane. On a plane. Well, the on a plane thing, so he's dealing with the elements of songwriting, writer's block, trying to find his voice. In the end, he settles on simplicity, saying that he's on a plane or at a high point in his life and that he can't complain. There you go. So maybe he is happy. (laughs) Took him 11 songs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's dive into number twelve. Now, th- there's a weird thing about this album. So there are it depends which album you got when you got it. There's extra. There's an extra song at the end. So uh, most of, most copies of the album had this one that we're going to do next, number twelve, "Something in the Way" is the last song. But there were versions of the CD that had an additional song called Endless Nameless, which we'll listen to after something in the way. But a lot of them didn't. So I, I actually the version I had originally back then didn't have Endless Nameless on it. And I have a recent um, uh, vinyl version and that doesn't have it on it. But it's on, you know, like if I I'm, we play these off of Spotify. So it's listed on Spotify here. So it's a little weird thing with this extra song. But let's listen to uh, something in a way, which to me was the last song because I never heard the other one before. (laughs) Is that clear or confusing or?
1: (laughs) No, it's great. We're going to go bonus track. There you go.
0: So much different vibe. Hear a little cello in there. <laughs> so this is a super super mellow song, and actually, when Kurt recorded it, he was lying on his back on a couch, and he was just whispering. So they brought the mic over and put it right in front of his face, but he's really there's no you know volume or, or um, projection on this at all. Um, but he wrote this about his life and he talks about living under a bridge, which he claimed happened when he got kicked out of the house and had to live under this nearby bridge for a little bit. His expressions and feelings and emotions, uh, are, he he expresses his feelings and emotions by saying something in the way, you know? So he thought he, everything was in the way every time he tried to feel better. And like I mentioned, they do use a cello in this song. Um, it was recorded on the last day of the session, and they kind of put it in at the end there. Uh, and they they said, you know, they played the song for the cellist, and they said, well, here, you know, play something, you know, that you think fits. And the guy came up with it right away, and it, it just worked really well. Again, a cellist is generally a pretty trained classical musician. So when you have something, and this is a very very simple song, you know, it's got two, three chords in it. And um, so when you bring in a professional like that, they can like get into that pocket really, really quickly. I think
1: that's great. And I learned that it's okay to fish because fish have no feelings.
0: Well, it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. Do they really not have feelings? I'll do the research and get back to you. Check with Mister Limpet, <laughs> the incredible, the incredible Mister Limpet. That's a throwback. That's you for think? all the. That's for all the super old boomers out there. <laughs> Not just old, super, super old. old. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna play this endless, nameless track. This is a weird song. Uh, so when they added it to the CD it was a uh, hidden songs there was 13 minutes and 51 seconds of blank space at the, between something in the way and endless nameless so it would mess up the everybody was on cds at the time it would mess up people's uh multi-cd players because they thought there was something wrong with it because you had 13, 14 minutes of blank space and then the song would come on. Wow. So uh, we'll take a listen to this. It's a lot of kind of noise and, you know, it, it's kind of a throwaway to me, but uh, we'll take a listen and, and you can judge for yourself. <laughs> All right, so it's kind of this noise, you know, art project type of song. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's just weird that it was that much space between the end of the record and then this song. Uh, and there were, so the first pressings of the CD didn't have it, and then some did. And then so it's, it just depends which version of, this, of the album you got and what media. It, it's all over the place. So there could be CDs with it, CDs without it, albums with it, albums without it um dave grohl had said that one guy took his copy of nevermind back to the record store asking for a refund because he thought it was broken when this like suddenly appeared at the end
1: <laughs> like hey. it's,
0: it's totally you know it's so much different than everything else on the album yeah. um and so you know it's, it's just a little interesting footnote uh, from my point of view
1: it's a, it sounds like how you would put music to a nightmare
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and it, it's kind of, I think it's like a more modern, like almost like a more modern revolution number nine type of thing. You hey, know, Wow, it was something that is like just kind of stream of consciousness and there's no real point to it sort of thing.
1: Number nine? right Yeah. there's another throwback for the old folks
0: yeah for the old geezers (laughs) and we are geezers so don't take offense (laughs) hey whoa whoa easy with the we easy easy all right so that's never mind i hope you enjoyed it i did cool
1: i hope our listeners enjoyed it for sure it was terrific
0: yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to uh, make sure, you know, make sure you like, subscribe, give us a review on Apple. That can help us out a lot. We really appreciate that. Yeah. We're going to take a break next week and then oh. we'll be back in two weeks with something super exciting. I'm not going oh. to tell you what though. It's a big surprise.
1: Oh, it's even for me. That's beautiful. All right, all right, all guys, right everybody with you as always. See yeah, thanks a
0: lot. Check it out insidethealbum.com. dot com. We'll see you later.